Whether you keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs, these are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. Reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptiles. And I'm Rob, and I'm Creeping It Real. And I remember to turn off the metronome this week. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's right. So this is episode 24, which means... After this episode, you can't listen to the entire podcast in one day. That's right. You and we're super excited about that. One day and 20 minutes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we have a super epic guest this week, which is... <laughs> Savvy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Freaking awesome. I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. I'm a little tired, but I'm doing good. So for <laughs> Thanks the people, for having me. I'm yeah, super excited sure. to have you on tonight. Uh, so for the people who might not know you or people who don't know who you are, uh, how did you kind of get interested in reptiles and in the realm of reptiles? Well, I was born and raised in South Florida, so they've always been around me since day one, basically. Um, I guess my first encounter with a reptile that I remember was when I was a little kid and I was outside just looking around for stuff and I found a ring neck snake mm. and my parents were out there and they saw it and they knew what it was so they just kind of let me go do my thing and I remember picking it up and just being so fascinated by it and ever since then I've just been catching lizards and snakes and everything I could get my hands on. Hell yeah, I love ring neck awesome. snakes. The ring neck <laughs> snakes up here, they um they are like a slate gray, and then the bellies on them are almost always like all yellow or like yellow orange. They don't have like a color gradient on them. The ones down where you're at, do they have like a, a ton of different colors on the belly, or is it just like unicolor? No, it's just pretty much like a, a bright orangish red. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love cool, them. Though. I love them. They're so <laughs> cool. And, and their musk is not as bad as like water snake musk because every time I catch a water snake, my hands smell like death, and you can't scrub it off of you. <laughs> <laughs> but but ringneck snakes, their musk isn't that bad. It's yeah. not as bad. You know what? I think I disagree with you. Really? I think, yeah. I think ring ringneck snake musk is so much worse. Oh, I don't know. When I smell the rhodia, I don't know. Maybe it's different because the ones that we got up here, they don't. it smells like a little bit, but it's not super overpowering. When I get musk by water snakes, I can, like, if you – we're outside the room you could smell it on me because that's how pungent <laughs> it is it's so strong but you guys have got like a bunch of different kinds of water snakes down there and you do a lot of field herping uh out there with ryan and i see you guys posting i'm like always jealous because you guys see so many freaking things and i'm like wow oh cool i found a garter snake and a water snake that's cool and yep. you guys are like oh yep. pygmy rattlesnakes and you know bright uh you know brown water snakes and this water snakes and all this and i'm like oh man i can't find any of that shit i'm just saying yeah every time I'm i go really down to lucky. florida i still like finding anoles just yep. because it's a lizard and we don't have those up here yeah <laughs> you know it's cool because i still get excited about anoles as well mm. just watching their behavior i grew up just you know observing them mm-hmm. and i'm still interested by them so it's never boring do you have a favorite thing that you like to find out there in the everglades anywhere where you go field herping um probably diamondbacks mm. yep mm. i enjoy those too it's hard to beat the high of finding a nice beautiful eastern diamondback yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Do you know anything about that, Rob? I don't. I've never, <laughs> I've never <laughs> I know what that's like. I found a timber, and the timbers are endangered, so that was cool. I, I'm assuming it's very similar because, I mean, it was so rare to see one. I've only found one, so I'm assuming it's like that. Maybe I've never so. found a timber. I would love to find one of those. Oh, my goodness. I spent, like, years looking in some of the only yeah. places where you can find them up here, and I've only found one. I found it, like, twice, so I found the same snake, like, two weeks apart, but I only found one. And then now with they're cracking down super hard in New England on uh, people who are out there looking for them that they put up trail cams, and they're, you know, if you get caught in the places where they're at, they'll fine you, and you can face jail time and all this stuff, so after I found all that stuff out, I was like, yeah, I I don't need to see him that bad. I saw the one. one. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, you found it twice, so you got that feeling twice. Yeah, exactly. I was like super freaking pumped. I, I like uh, the first time I found it, I was like shaking. I was so excited. I like it was underneath a rock, and I it was like a huge rock, and I was standing there uh, talking with uh, the guy who I was out there with, and he's like, "Yeah, usually you see him, and it was a little bit overcast that day." And I was like, "You know, usually." You'll see them out in the open. They'll sit like right out on the rocks, but on overcast days, sometimes you'll see them right on the edges. And so I had flipped this rock over, and I see it under there, and it immediately start rattling. And I was like, "Oh shit, it's right there! Holy fuck!" And I'm losing my <laughs> mind, going off, like absolutely going off, because I was so pumped. And I just sat there, like just staring at it for like ten minutes. And he's uh... like, "Dude, are you, you gonna go look for some other stuff?" And I was like, "I need to just soak this in for a minute." Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys have seen, like, you don't just see reptiles out there. So you guys saw, like, the, what was it, the sawfish out there? And you see them hunting? Yeah. So um, in Flamingo, the park um, where the boat ramp is, yeah. there's usually some crocodiles there. And seasonally, there's sawfish. And we saw, I don't know if it's multiple babies or if it's just this oh, one that hangs out there, but we see only one at a time. And he just comes up to the boat ramp and you can see him hunting and using his little saw. That That's is so awesome. freaking cool. I remember what, the first time that I saw that you guys had posted a video about that. I was like, huh, huh, wait, wait a second. How did they catch footage of it hunting? Because I literally was watching a documentary like two weeks earlier, and they were like, we don't really know what the sawfish saw. We theorize that they use it to hunt their prey and, and stun them or stab them with the saw. And then I saw you guys literally seeing them stat, like jab the fish with it, and I was like, D how come they caught it, but National Geographic can't catch that shit? Right. Why is that? Because <laughs> they haven't been to that spot. True. Now they know they got to go there. Legit. I, I was like, that is so freaking Cool, it's so cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> but you don't do field herping like exclusively. You still have got some of your own pet reptiles and you're doing a lot with like uh, socialization and um, you know uh, enrichment with your lizards and I think that's like super, super cool. And you just posted on your Instagram recently uh, for people to share their enrichment that they're doing with their lizards. So how, how, what are the things that you're doing and then what are you, some of the things you're seeing that other people are doing? Yeah, so I love enrichment, especially with animals that are under our care. In the wild, as you know, they're constantly stimulated. And I think if that we have them, we should provide stimula stimulation for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so some of the things that I do, I just shared on my Instagram, you probably saw, uh, my black throat monitor. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I have to cut you off. This wild cat just hunted a toke gecko that was on my house just now what? holy crap <laughs> what? oh my god i can't believe i just saw that oh shit <laughs> <laughs> wow i mean yeah that, one, that was crazy one invasive, one invasive taking another. out another yeah. so <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's nuts damn florida um, yeah. the wilds of the u.s <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, anyways, so I got this cardboard box that I got from Amazon, and I just, you know, took all the tape off, and I stuffed some of my Black Throat Monitor's favorite food in there, um, and I filled it with, like, mulberry leaves, so he has to really look for it, and I gave it to him, and it's just like if you were in the wild digging up eggs. Um, mm. It's it's mental and it's physical stimulation, um, and... I think that sometimes people forget that reptiles need that too. Yeah, yeah, because, sure. Um, and it's not just lizards that need it; even snakes need it as well. Yeah, definitely. And it's like you know, I keep scrub pythons, and I always talk about how like smart they are. So you can see their mind moving when you're interacting with them, and that's one of the things that I'm like super excited for when I can get uh, a little bit of a bigger area for them and kind of do that enrichment with them and a little bit of stimulation 
uh, where you can, you know, I know a lot of people will bring leaves in around fall time up here and they'll put them in their reptiles enclosure so that they can smell all those new smells that they wouldn't be getting. Um, or they'll take sheds from one enclosure and, and put it in another enclosure to kind of just get something different in there for to keep their mind moving. That's why, like, when people keep crested geckos, or, or like in our store, we sell a lot of crested geckos, and people are like, I, Can I just raise them on Rapashi? It's like, Yeah, you can, but I honestly, I always encourage people to give them insects, insects also yeah. so that they get to hunt things and they get to feel that kind of natural uh, yeah. feel that they would get in the wild, you know? Yeah, definitely. And like you said, just the scent alone is such an easy thing you can do for your snakes. And it really gets their minds working. They smell new things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so mm -hmm. true. I, I feel especially as we learn more about the, in, the intelligence of reptiles, like it, a lot of it ties into scent. Mm -hmm. It's such a big aspect of their, of their life and just how they navigate through. So anything yeah. you can do to change up a, the scent of something in the enclosure or just throwing something, I guess you could say alien, into yeah. the enclosure um, just provides some sort of mental stimuli for them. Yeah, definitely. I think that, like, one of the things I see a lot up at Nerd is the water monitors. Like, uh, even just new people coming into the room, like, even if you're not um, interacting with the specific animal itself, just new people being in the room will almost always get the water monitors to come like right up to the edge of their enclosure they're flicking their tongues you know trying to take Aww. a peek out see what people are doing and they're you know very interested in what's going on mm -hmm. yeah sure. they're really intelligent animals i think they're a little underestimated sometimes 100 percent. oh 100 percent. once once you especially once you've gotten them past that uh that fear Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you don't, when you know, when you no longer have to deal with the fight or flight response yeah. and it's literally just like, what's up, bro? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, then you really get to see that, that behavior, that curiosity really manifest. And that's, that's something really special for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, yeah. it's tougher because a lot of people that keep reptiles, like a lot of people are just getting into it, keep things uh, like leopard geckos and bearded dragons that might be a little bit lower on the food chain, especially when they're younger. So like a leopard gecko when it's a baby, a lot of things eat it. So they don't have like, I feel like they don't have that kind of thought going on. But you can see as they get bigger, they definitely have more situational awareness of what's going on around them. And mm -hmm. they can kind of judge you by what you're doing and how you interact with them as opposed to like the babies that sometimes just kind of bug yeah they just freak panic. out yeah, yeah. Well, that they was get like, more confident yes. and they Ex can do more things exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one of the things that um i used to do whenever i because when i first started keeping and breeding leopard geckos i did it all in tanks because that's just what you, what you did had way yeah. back <laughs> way back then um when uh when you do like a deep clean on mm -hmm. the enclosure um, obviously, new bedding and all that stuff provides new smells and new things to, to investigate. But um, right. you just change up the layout of the oh, enclosure. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. So even if you don't have a lot of stuff in there, if all of a sudden the hide goes from the right side of the cage to the left side of the cage, like, what? Yeah. This is, yeah. This is fairly familiar, but something's wrong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Another thing that I think is really easy is uh, changing up the feeding schedule. I know mm -hmm. for a long time I fed on Wednesdays every single week. Mm -hmm. And then you can tell that the snakes are anticipating food on Wednesdays. Yeah. And so if you do it on Tuesday or you do it on Saturday or you skip a week, it's not going to hurt them, but it's going to get them thinking like, hey, where's my food? Oh, I'm getting food early. Oh, I'm getting food later. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I've, I mean, I've done for a really long time is I, I don't go by a set schedule for when I'm mm -hmm. going to feed things. Uh, you know, there might be a month where I feed them every single week and there might be a month where I feed them, you know, once every other week, just where right. it changes things up a little bit. It keeps them, you know, interactive. It keeps their mind moving. And it, I think it's a lot more natural for them. I think it's very unnatural that people are doing like that every single week it needs to eat on this day. Right, and right. Yeah. people get caught up on the like care sheets where it's like pick a day and feed it on that day. And that, you have to feed it once a week. And, you know, if it varies from that, they get super panicked when mm -hmm. in the wild, you know, the snakes don't have someone going, oh, it's Wednesday. It's feeding day. They, they just kind of yeah. yeah, catch whatever <laughs> they can. The rats. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the appropriately sized rats. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I think changing the diet, too, is also another good idea. Instead of giving it just a large rat every single week, give mm -hmm. it a, you know, two small rats or a chick or something different. That has yeah. been my biggest hurdle with 
uh, keeping snakes in particular is because when I like got into keeping a bunch of snakes, I kept mostly ball pythons, and the thought of trying to feed a ball python anything other than something that's readily available scared the hell out of me. I was yeah. like, they're eating rats. I want them to keep eating. Just keep eating. That's all I care about. And I don't want you to do anything else. But now that I've got like scrubs and short tails and stuff, I'm like, ah, let's give them a chick. Let's give them a quail chick. Let's see what happens. Let's give them some yeah. of this. Let's give them some of that. Who, yeah. who cares? And, and I feel like it definitely does benefit them. Uh, in the long term, as opposed to just giving them one consistent, you know, type mm -hmm. of food item. Definitely. I I remember back back in the days of, of ball pythons. Mm -hmm. uh, if you had a ball python eating rats, and then all of a sudden would go off food, African someone softwares. would recommend African softwares, oh. and then if they got the the taste, taste. in their mouth for That's African softwares, you couldn't do anything else. else. And the likelihood <laughs> of you knowing somebody who had a readily available supply. And I'm pretty sure of, they were illegal in Massachusetts. Yeah, I had them for a little while. Like, I bred them for a while, too. Yeah. I was like, these things are great. And then couldn't continue yeah. to breed them anymore. I was like, cool. So terrible. I guess I'm selling that ball python. Yeah, I guess I gotta get rid of that ball python now because I won't eat anything else. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, I'd literally rather deal with a jungle carpet that's a mouser mm -hmm. than deal with a ball python that only wants African soft furs. Oof. Um, <laughs> but not all snakes are like that. So Yeah, like, for sure. Definitely with the um, – I've just recently got some um, broad-banded water snakes, and, like, I'm looking at maybe getting a couple other locales of, of broad-banded water snakes. And the guys who do the Nerodia, the guys who breed mm -hmm. water snakes, or the people who breed water snakes in the U.S., they are like – Feed it something different every time you feed it. Give it fish. Give it chicken. Give it something. That, you yeah. know, give it tadpoles. Go to the you know market and see if you can get frogs legs and give it frogs legs. Or you know, change it up all the time. As much as you can change it up, change it up every time that you feed it. And I'm like going from ball pythons where it's like feed it, make sure it's eating. It, it don't ever change it to like these guys that are like feed it a chicken wing, see if it'll eat it. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. interesting to see because if you kind of pigeonhole yourself into one aspect of the hobby or you know one aspect of keeping reptiles you won't have learned that you won't have gotten you know oh it's good to change things up every now and again if you just stay with ball pythons you probably would never ever get that from anybody they're gonna say keep feeding it make sure it feeds until it breeds and it's yeah. like you know it's it's a lot better for the animal long term if you kind of you know don't follow that <laughs> yeah no for sure yeah for sure. Yeah, I think um, I, there's quite a few people that I've seen in the uh, in the realm of, of carpet python that have been um, a little more, I guess you could say, verbal about different prey, feeding different prey. Mm -hmm. um, a few people I've seen have really gone down the routes of, of birds, you know, chicks or quail or mm. whatever. <clears throat> and um, I, I have yet to do that only because even though we have a, a supply at at nerd um i don't ever i don't want to pigeonhole myself into a situation where suddenly something only wants that or would prefer that and i don't have yes access to it so i'm like okay once a month i'm gonna throw that <laughs> in there. i'm gonna change it a little bit but uh god forbid yeah but even that is great even if you don't have a steady supply of it or you're worried that they're gonna go off of their normal food even just once a month is something different yeah mm -hmm. for sure it definitely just cha sure. changes things up just a little bit and um so you work with a lot of lizards or you got some lizards and then uh ryan does a little bit of the snakes and stuff uh and he's got some rhino rat snakes and you guys have been growing some of those out and those are like the cutest little things ever <laughs> yeah they're awesome these are the first two that i've raised i've mm -hmm. never had them before ryan um and so I've really enjoyed raising these two girls. It's super interesting that they start out so, like, bland colored. And then, you know, they, as they're growing, as they mature, they change into these, like, magnificent green or green-blue animals. It's yeah. just, like, you never, ever would have thought that if you just, like, found a baby one. You'd be like, ah, what is this thing? Ah, it's just, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's crazy because we have one girl right now. Um, her name is Jade. And she is so green that in the pictures, I feel like I have to turn the saturation down so it looks like I didn't turn it up. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so green. That's awesome. That is pretty awesome, actually. 
But until you see one in person, it's like, you know, people would be like, oh, you're just doctoring that photo to make it look nice. And it's like, no, they actually look really nice. Yeah. Look really nice. Yeah. Exactly. I like I like the fact that um, rhino rats are, are a colubrid that not completely, but it can be a little bit more bold, especially mm -hmm. if you put it in an enclosure where it has the ability to climb and, and mm -hmm. do all those things. They'll actually, they will utilize it. Everything. They'll find a place Water to bask oh, yeah. and use it. Yeah. Like, I, I appreciate yeah. that a lot about them. Because I feel like if you didn't know anything about them and you saw a picture of them, you'd be like, that kind of looks like a reclusive, yeah, you know, like a little thin colubrid. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't don't mess with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're very active, very entertaining to watch. Yeah, for sure. So do you guys do, like, uh, changing up your feeding regimen with them? Do you, what do you guys usually feed them? Um, right now I just have the babies on um, rat pinkies. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I'll do, like I said, I'll do, like, two little mice pinkies, mm -hmm. or um, I'll skip a week or two. Uh, I try to mix it up, but right cool. now they're just on rodents. Yeah, because I know a couple of people who have bred them, and they're like, those babies are the pickiest babies. They don't want to eat anything, and it's like... Fish. Yeah, yeah. fish. They want to eat fish, and yep. it's like you got to put like a little shallow dish of water with like just barely enough water to cover the minnow's backs or, you know, the little guppies' backs. Yeah. And they got to be able to hang down into the dish, and they'll let their nose touch the water so that it feels the movement of the water, and then they'll like <laughs> swing their faces around until they grab something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, at first they were a little picky, but mm. once they ate two or three times, now they're rock solid. Mm. Yeah, that that seems to be a pretty pretty stable theme for them. Yep. Once they, you know, they're they're eating, they've gotten a little bit of size. You start to get them onto the rodents, and after like two or three times feeding on rodents, they absolutely crush it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Thank God they're not anything more difficult than that. <laughs> well, you know what that that leads me to though. That makes me think of. Um, how people have been doing with the dragon snakes because dragon snakes oh, are always yeah. considered just like oh don't get them they'll die and then now that people have actually been you know exploring other food items and they found out that they like tadpoles and they like fish um, and stuff like that there's actually a bunch of people who are doing pretty well with keeping them yeah. successfully and, and doing really well with them and it's just getting out of that box that like you know, for so long, people were kind of strapped into, okay, you get a snake, you feed it mice, you breed it. And it's like, some snakes don't <laughs> do that, you know? Yeah. Because, um, like, sunbeam snakes are one of the ones that I always think of because people love sunbeam snakes. Like, you post a picture of a sunbeam snake and people fall in love with them because of how iridescent they are. But if you try and keep them like a ball python, you'll kill them because they just, that's not where they live. That's not how they yeah. su survive. That's not how they thrive. But if you keep them like a sunbeam snake, if you keep them on moss and keep it humid and, and not too hot, they do great. They do awesome. Um, it's just getting outside of that box of I keep it on paper, I give it a water dish, I give it a hide box, I feed it a rat, and that's it. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and I feel like I'm starting to see more of that. I see a lot of people um, you know, exploring new avenues. And especially, I just posted this enrichment thing yesterday, mm. and a lot of people have tagged me in their reptile enrichment ideas, which I think is so cool. That's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the, how, how this is growing. I was just doing an Instagram Live the other day, and, and, and the topic of enrichment got brought up. And, um, you know, I feel like there's, just like anything else in the industry, there's um, a whole spectrum when it comes to the enrichment thought process. Yes. You know, you have the people who are like, I don't know, just throw like a toilet paper tube in there. It'll figure it out, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then you've got the other people that are like, no, like literally we're going to take like a slice of the jungle and put it in and make it an enclosure. And um, and there's the, the full kind of gambit of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's awesome. Uh, of course, just like anything else though, the people who are totally on one side of the extreme or the other don't know when to shut their mouth yes. and listen to another yeah. side of the, of the opinion. But um, I do think it's um, uh, that it's, it's a really great trend that's starting to come over. People are actually taking a more serious interest in, um, I guess you could say, the mental health of, uh, of their animals, you know, mm -hmm. just making sure they, they are doing things. Because um, it, it, does, it does matter. It definitely does. It matter. absolutely matters. And not only is it good for them mentally, but if they're mentally stimulated and mentally happy, then they will perform physically better. Um, there are some crocodiles that I'm working with now that 
have never bred in I don't even know how many years at this one facility that they were living at and then they moved to a different facility and they had all of this new stuff to do they had a new exhibit new food uh you know a different routine and they bred twice already wow that's awesome that is really cool <laughs> heck yeah. yeah heck yeah i think one of one of the things that kind of certainly plays plays into that is um you know and I, this is something again that i was just talking about the other day uh you know you can attempt to to breed something but just because you have a pair of things together doesn't mean they will breed oh yeah you know if they yeah. whether it be a cycling thing or just the environment isn't right for them like if they don't want to reproduce they will not reproduce yeah you know? um and i feel like you know the, the very few exceptions for like some of the i guess super easy to breed species would be like well if it's already cycling and it gets paired up and it continues to go through its cycle and that's one thing but um overall if you're just starting with a random pair of animals if they don't feel like their conditions are right they just they won't breed i mean we even see that with like rodents mm -hmm. if it gets too hot your production is gonna fail you know because um, they just they can't maintain it yeah i think that's also species specific too because mm -hmm. ball python they will live in a rack in you know barely enough space to turn around and they'll breed all day yeah um, very true but you know these american crocodiles they they want what they want to perform um so i think it's it's very species specific yeah i would agree and and i would um even uh piggyback onto that and say like where your your range wherever you're located plays plays quite a large role in it too and um just i mean how well you're able to dial in your parameters um for that species like i know i've talked to a bunch of people uh, that breed carpets and a lot of carpet python breeders keep and breed their stuff in cages and um, when i was starting to breed carpets i had all my stuff in cages and could not for the life of me breed carpet pythons and um one year i was like you know what i just want to put them in a rack and see if they do any better and i had like 100 percent success and oh. the only thing that changed was having them in a cage to putting them in a rack but the rack was almost identical dimensions wise it was just shorter um height wise um right but all the other parameters were the same and i was like i don't know why this worked but i'm not going back to cages right away <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's interesting yeah, but it also depends on the individual animal because there are some sure, more animals yeah. that are more high strung. Like I've had bloods where um, if you put them in a cage, they lose their minds because they just feel mm -hmm. like constantly things are looking at them. But if you keep them in a rack, they're super calm, super, you know, relaxed. Um, but, you know, literally within a day of putting them into a cage, a front opening they're cage, they just it. freak out. Like even just when you walk into the room, just thrashing around inside of the enclosure because they're not happy. And right. it, it definitely plays a, a role in which species you're talking about. And yeah, all that sort yeah, of stuff. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we cannot have you on the show without talking about your love for tortoises. Yes. <laughs> Is it that obvious? Uh, just, just a little, just a little. <laughs> but you've, you've got a couple tortoises of your own, right? I do. And, uh, and then you also visit some really, really big tortoises. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, tell us a little bit about your tortoises, and then maybe a little bit about the the galops and and all that sort of stuff. So I have um, two sulcata tortoises, and I don't even know how many redfoots—about twenty—and <laughs> then some radiated tortoises, and a star tortoise, and an elongated tortoise, and uh. A couple yellowfoots. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but they, oh my gosh, I love them so much. I enjoy taking care of them so much. I can't get enough of it, honestly. <laughs> um, they're such interesting the ones, creatures, you know. Yeah, they are, and they're so. I think 
underappreciated because a lot of people think that they're just like rocks with legs, mm. but they're so smart. They are. Sometimes. They've got so much personality. Like Redfoots have got the most personality. Like every single Redfoot has a different personality and a lot of them are sassy. <laughs> yes. And speaking of different personalities, uh, two of my Redfoots, you know, they're omnivores. They don't just eat oh, yeah. veggies mm. and fruit. Um, you know, in the wild, they eat a lot of carrion and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I offer that to them here as well. But two of my redfoots will not touch anything but a fruit or vegetable. Really? They gag. Hmm. They literally gag. Wow. That's crazy. That's really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I posted a video on my Instagram uh, like probably a year ago, but they stick their tongues out and they like make a noise when I show them a worm or an egg or something else. Other <laughs> That's than hilarious. Fruit. Yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> that is so weird. Cause like most of the red foots that we've got at nerd, you know, every now and again, I'll give them like a frozen thawed rat or I'll give them a little piece of chicken or something, you know, a little, anything extra I got hanging around. And most of ours are like, Oh yeah, that's the stuff. Because you know, yeah. it's, it really only makes up like what, like ten percent of their diet. But every now and again, I like to just like sprinkle it in there. Just give them a little something extra, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> and the the ones that we got really like it a lot. Like it's scary. I'm like, if I lay down on the ground too long, I feel like you'd try to eat me. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, they will definitely eat you alive. <laughs> I don't lay down in my redfoot enclosure because of that reason only. <laughs> You're like, legislation against giant snakes is crap. It should be it's the killer tortoises. tortoises. Yeah. <laughs> no, no more <laughs> Oh, And then you get to, you get to, you go to um, a spot where you get to check out some Galapagos tortoises. Yeah, I go to my friend Jason Abel's house. He is the coolest person on the planet. You should follow him. Um, he has 11, no, he has 10 Galapagos tortoises and one Aldabra tortoise. And yeah, that's like my zen area. I yeah. go there, we hang out with the Galops, we talk a bunch of tortoise nerdy stuff. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's awesome. That is that so is cool. freaking awesome. So do you find that those guys even have their own personalities too? Oh my gosh, yes. I've learned them very well. Um, some of them, there's probably like five that you can guarantee will come up to you when you walk into the habitat. And then there's like three that you know will definitely not walk up to you. <laughs> and then the rest, you know, they might come over if you have some food or if they're feeling really lovey. But, uh, yeah, they all have their own personalities for sure. That's awesome. I look at, like, Aldabras and Galapagos, and I'm like, that's a really cool animal. And then I'm like, what happens when you need to move it someplace? Like, just, like, you need to move <laughs> it from one area of the pen to the other part of the pen. I'm like... You got ten years, I feel, <laughs> <Yeah>. before, <laughs> before that becomes real difficult. Yeah. Lots of patience. Lots and, and lots red. of patience. They you, love the color red. Really? Oh, that's yes. interesting. I actually did not know that. Yeah. When I have to move, even my sulcatas, I just bring out a hibiscus or a strawberry or anything red, they will follow. Hmm. That is really cool. That, yeah, yeah, so don't wear red pants when you go visit tortoises. <laughs> <laughs> you see, when when we do the tours at Nerd or when we have uh, people to Nerd, a lot of time during the summertime, people wear sandals and a lot of women will have like red painted nails and the tortoises yeah. are like oh what's that there and i'm like leave them alone leave them alone stop that i'm like you gotta stand over there watch out they're very slow but they're assassins i'm telling yeah, you yeah exactly yeah <laughs> if you're distracted they are very fast they can yeah, be that's true a hundred percent that is true i mean we see that all the time so during the winter we bring all of our tortoises inside into the cave and uh if we if somebody leaves the door open oh, just, just for a little a too long, yeah. you'll see like it's usually the sulcatas that are like the door. It's my time, <laughs> <laughs> and they they will make a beeline, oh, especially yeah. some of those smaller ones yeah. will make a beeline for the door and be like adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone thinks the tortoises are so slow, but no, nah, when they got someplace yeah. they want to be, mm -mm. yep. Oh yeah, they can move. They're little little Tonka trucks, man. Just ram themselves yeah. right into wherever they want to go. Pretty much. Yep. 
<laughs> we had a big uh, sulcata that was that we just rehomed recently because he was basically tearing holes in our walls and like we we couldn't get him to stay in the doors. He would literally open the doors, <laughs> which is so bad because like we were like, oh, it's okay. We sh- he should be good for another like year and then we'll be able to like set something up for him. And he figured out that if he pushes the door, he can push past the latch on the door and push it open. Oh, because it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have door. double doors there. Yeah. And he figured out that he can open it up, and he was letting out all the other tortoises. So, like, I would come in in the morning, and there's a sulcata as a doorstop, and there's redfoot tortoises all over the top floor of the building. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm not going to collect tortoises tortoise for an hour. army. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's tortoise Armageddon. Escape. Yeah, the great escape. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. What? Yeah, pass. Pass. <laughs> they shouldn't be that smart. I'm just saying. <laughs> and it wasn't even like he would, like, open the door and, like, leave. He would open the door and sit and there sit so there. that all the other ones could get out. Aww. Maybe he just wanted, maybe he just wanted the, that cool air. You know, maybe. I mean, come on. It, it, there hasn't been a day that's gone by when we're in the cave that we don't open the door and just be like, because ah, that room is <laughs> abrasive sometimes. Oh, but yeah, but Sulcatas, <laughs> they, they like that stuff. True, <laughs> true. <laughs> so do you do, like, uh, enrichment stuff with your tortoises and, and uh, like, for feeding regimens or, like, outside of that? Yeah, so obviously they're very food-motivated. Mm-hmm. One of the things I like to do is um, I'll hang stuff, like, from the trees just where they can reach it but they have to really stretch (laughs) um even for the the sulcatas which typically in the wild they wouldn't be reaching up for food yeah but it's still something different for them if it's a really yummy snack like a tomato or something Mm -hmm. um to get them to work for it use different muscles so that's one of the things um i'll also do like scatter feeding i don't offer them fruit often because they don't need that in their diet but when i do enrichment i'll offer them some um you know like little grapes and i'll just scatter it around and so they they don't get a whole clump of grapes in one couple <laughs> they don't you know? gorge themselves they have to yeah. work for it a little Oof. Uh. I can totally picture them being like, wait, one grape? Wait, where's more grapes? Yeah. Yeah. There must be more grapes. There must be more. Another thing that they really like is, um, like, scratches on the shell. Like, obviously, you don't scratch into their shell, but you kind of rub their butt a little bit. They'll do a little booty shake. (laughs) And I've seen people make, um, like, brushes for for them to walk under mm-hmm. and they'll kind of rub their shells on the brushes huh. oh, that's and interesting. they really enjoy it yeah see hmm. i always thought that they were not liking it because i picture them just being like leave me alone don't touch me like that. yeah <laughs> you know that could be the case too but when i see them going up to that brush it makes me think maybe they like it exactly if, if you put a brush in a stationary place and they go up to it and do it that probably means maybe they like so it. yeah I wonder if yeah. there's any any sort of context in the wild where like they for would what find, they would be doing that for yeah like like going through a sh- like maybe like to even just clean off their, their shell like yeah. sitting in mud or whatever mm-hmm. um, yeah if they would that's interesting it's an interesting yeah behavior. I think it goes hand in hand with the galops when they finch because mm-hmm. you know in the wild they'll stand up really tall so that the finches can come and you know eat the ticks and all the bugs off of them mm. um which is exactly the reason that they do it when you know i go up to them and start scratching their neck i'm doing it because i love them and i think they're cute but they're <laughs> doing it because they think i'm eating the bugs off of them right 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 <laughs> hmm hmm things to think about <laughs> yeah, it's always it's funny true. to me like when i get people on the tour uh or what people who come to nerd and i'm teaching them about the tortoises and I'll, I'll show them we've got a uh turtle shell a snapping turtle shell that is from an animal that had passed away so we cleaned it out so you can see the vertebrae and you can see the ribs and everything and right. the amount of people who are like wait you're telling me that that's its back its shell is its back and i'm like yes it is its back and guess what they can feel when you touch them so don't be mean to them and they're like what do you mean i thought that it was just like a like a hermit crab shell and i'm like no No. it's not it's part of its body be nice to turtles that is stuck on them forever yes Yes. oof yeah 
And I, I can tell the people who have, like, been mean to turtles before because I'm like, it's part of their skeleton. If you, like, break their shell, it's like breaking a bone. And they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And I'm oh, like, no. yeah. And I'm like, oh, no. What did you do? <laughs> Evil. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, don't tell me. Please don't yeah. tell me. Yeah, Horrible. no. That's but, when you immediately just find that person and just automatic shame. Just shame. No, what, I, what I do is, now that you've learned this, be nice to turtles. turtles and now yeah. go up to that turtle over there and pet it and be nice to it. Yeah. And get them to yep. actually have a positive interaction with it because maybe that can change their direction that they were thinking about turtles before. Because if they felt some sort of way, if they have a positive experience with one, they're not going to want to be mean to another one in the future. True. Absolutely. Probably. Probably. Hopefully. I hope so. Hopefully. <laughs> Oof. Who can dislike turtles? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't like, understand. I feel like people love turtles too much. Maybe so. Because <laughs> I get yeah. a lot of people who call the store and they're like, I want to get a turtle. And I'm like, first off, are you prepared to take care of a turtle? Because I understand <laughs> that you're well-intentioned, but turtles are a lot of work. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that uh, that off-site party you did last year when uh, they called up and the lady was like, no turtles? Yes. Yeah, I remember that. that she was specifically the requested thing. no turtles. <laughs> Do not bring any turtles to this program. And I was like, why? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't somebody know. unnecessarily yeah. afraid of, of turtles, turtles or yeah. something? Well, I guess one of the kids was afraid of turtles. Like, like legitimately, like, post-traumatic stress afraid of turtles. So they were okay with, like, snakes and lizards? Yep. <laughs> totally fine with those. But it's, it's got a shell. It's the end of the world. Wow, I've never heard of that before. There was, yeah. I've also had someone who's afraid of frogs. They're like deathly afraid of frogs. Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah they wrote on the I, thing, I've do not that. bring frogs, don't bring frogs. And I was like, frogs? The things that barely have any like way to hurt you? Those ones? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think people oh don't God. like them because they're slimy. But yeah, why dislike them because they're like, they have weird skin, okay, but why Why do you not like that? Yeah, true. I, I don't know, I would... If I knew that that was a person in the store or something, I would purposely be carrying containers of frogs. <laughs> like, I love these frogs! These frogs are awesome! Because <laughs> the frog's not going to hurt them. What is it going to yeah. do? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people down here don't like the cane toads. Yeah. Like, mm. They're invasive. Okay, I understand. But they are my favorite amphibian in the world. Really? And I don't know why people don't like them. I think they're so cute. And unfortunately, they're here. But fortunately for us, we get to enjoy them. So why not enjoy them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I saw them in the wild, I'd be like, get out of here. But we've got cane toads at our store. And I'm like, you're pretty cool. I like they're you. They're pretty cool. You're chill. <laughs> and you see those giant ones, man. It's, I, it's always an impressive sight mm. when you get to really see one of those like monsters you're like that's a big motherfucker yeah, I'm just yeah, saying. <laughs> yeah. I, what i like to do is i like to bring one of those in a container but i like to bring it out like as the last amphibian and what i do is i bring like uh like a woodhouse toad or like some sort of smaller toad and i'm like look at this toad isn't this cool and they're like yeah that's cool and i'm like you want to see something that's bigger and then i take out like a pixie frog or like something that's intermediate like a big um like a what are they called um colorado river toads oh so yeah, like bigger yeah. than the toads that we have here but they're still like not as big as a marine toad and they're like that's the biggest toad i ever seen in my life and i'm like just <laughs> wait just wait <laughs> three pounds of toad yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seen anything yet. Yeah, yeah and then you bring out hypno toad and they're like <laughs> <laughs> Oh and everyone's gosh. like, what is that mutant? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. oh. This is Was it, I, th I think it was like Bill Love back in the day had like shared a photo that I it had to, was like clearly photoshopped. It was like this massive freaking marine toad that was like human sized. Oh my God. That's, and uh, if, that's I wonder if I can find that photo again because I was like, that can't be real. <laughs> that 100% needs to be photoshopped. Otherwise, I'd be running. Legit. I love amphibians, but I'd be running the hell away from a marine toad oh, that no. big. Yeah, after watching If the... that were real, I would pay a lot of money for it. Oh, my God. I just feel like I would have an accident. It would accidentally grab my arm, and I'd be like, oh, this is how it ends. Yeah. And it's, like, oh gumming me down my arm. Oh and I'm like, this is terrible. Gosh. It's soft. Why? Why? Yeah. Dude, could you imagine? how far that thing could hop 
No, I can't be imagine. like a semi truck in one hop. That would be amazing. Imagine if it hopped into you, though. It could probably knock you the fuck out. Oh, dude, it would be worse than a belly bump from Dan. Oh my god. Oh, oh my goodness. That would be something else. That would be something else. Oh, so, do you have a lot of cane toads that uh, pop up in your area? Yeah, I'm looking at one right now. What? What? <laughs> Wait, like a wild one? Yeah. she. I'm in my front yard, and she just, like, hopped around. Because we have the porch light on, so yeah. the bugs come. Uh, and so she's probably looking for some beetles. There do you it. go. I feel like if I lived in Florida, I would never get any sleep. Because of things like that. I would be like, I can't wait to go out and see what's the next thing I'm going to find. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it's great. I'm that type of person. Yeah, that's fair. I would if I was with you though. Yeah. At some point, I'd throw something at you. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. If it's like 1 a.m. and you're like, another toad! I gotta catch it. <laughs> Jared's like, go to, yeah, sleep. to sleep. Can you? Can yeah. we get three hours of sleep tonight? And I'm yeah. like, but it's token gecko hour. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> but. The cane toads aren't, like, the only invasive thing that you see down there. What are some of the other species that you've seen in your travels? So guys, you sent me pictures of some of the spiders you guys see down there, and I'm, like, geeking out because I love spiders so much. You guys see so many cool different kinds. But you oh, my gosh, yes. And you guys also so, see, like, a bunch of reptiles and stuff, too. Yeah, as far as invasive species, the majority of the reptiles we see are invasive, mm -hmm. at least, like, around the neighborhood. Yeah. There's, um, you know... Red-headed agamas, basilisk, all the brown anoles. Mm -hmm. um, the green anoles, they actually, there were two different species down here, and mm -hmm. they just put them together what? because one one was invasive and one was native. And then they were like, I don't know the exact science behind it, but they look so similar. I can't even tell them apart. I think they were just like, you know what, fuck it. Let's put them together. They're all native. <laughs> they're like, yeah, they're all the same At this thing. point, yeah. <laughs> Like yeah, so thankfully, grass. all the green knolls I see now are native. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, so what else do I see? The cane toads, obviously, tokes. Um, the Burmese pythons are a big one. Cayman. I don't know. The Cuban night knolls and stuff? Yeah, the night knolls, iguanas. What else? That's There's so much. Yeah I, yeah, I couldn't. I would be like, what weird thing am I going to find now? Because, yeah. like, up here I know exactly what I'm <clears> going to find. I know what kind of habitat I'm going to find it in. And there's never a surprise. It's never like I show up to uh, a spot that's got boards and stuff and I flip something over and I'm like, oh, my God, it's a milk snake. <laughs> it's it's always like, you know, like a, like a hunter. And it's always just like, oh, yeah. it's a regular eastern milk snake yeah <laughs> oh it's a garter snake yeah. lots of garter snakes lots and lots, lots of garter of snakes, garter snakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. you never know what you're gonna find even if it's not one of those uh you know normal invasives that we see i'm always on the lookout for like nile monitors and mm -hmm. bug scrub pythons you never know <laughs> i would lose my shit if i found a wild scrub python <laughs> yeah I'd whenever ryan and i are out in the everglades we always say what would be the craziest thing to find right now? <laughs> and sometimes we're like, oh, it would be a cross monitor yes. or yep. an anaconda or something like that. But Sheesh. it's all possible because everyone has everything down here. And if it gets out, it will probably survive. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. That's true. Oof. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Up here, there's, there's never a surprise. Like, yeah. the only thing that came as a surprise, like, quote, unquote, surprise uh, in near my hometown where I grew up in Massachusetts, uh, someone sulcata tortoise dug underneath their fence and, and got out into the town square. And so animal control called someone who ended up calling my mom and they call My mom calls me. And she's like, did, do you know who lost this sulcata tortoise? I was like, hold on. <laughs> Let me text somebody. I texted my buddy, and I was like, hey, do you know where your sulcata tortoise is right now? He's like, he texted me. He's like, I just went in my backyard. It dug out of my freaking backyard. And I was like, oh, I knew exactly who it came from. <laughs> but it's oh, like, that's great you were able to track it down so fast. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there's not as many people up here who, who keep things, I think, as there are down there. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, with it being such a, you know, our climate – 
during the winter time gets so cold that you can't really do outdoor enclosures most of the year and and with that it definitely limits w the ways people are willing to keep things so it, it definitely I don't know it makes things a little bit tougher for people and uh, I feel like down in Florida you guys got much better you know temperatures and everything so it's a little bit easier to accommodate for having bigger enclosures and all that stuff but then it also yeah. leads to potentially stuff getting out so it's like eh. yeah yeah yeah, well, just build your enclosures good and stuff won't get out. Yeah, seriously. True. It's, true. it's not that hard. Solid advice for all of you who keep things outside. Don't suck at what you build. Yeah, <laughs> if you love your animal that much, I yeah. would cry if my animals got out. So if you love it that much, just make a secure enclosure. Legit. Yep. And even if you don't think that it would dig to get out, like there's certain animals are like, oh, they don't dig. It's fine. No, keep going. Do it anyway. Keep yeah, going yeah, yeah. deeper. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you got it uh, as as covered as possible so that you don't have any accidents, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cover all your bases, even the imaginary ones. <laughs> mm. Yep. Because <laughs> that one you forget about will become the realist base that you should have covered. Yeah. That's yep. You're like, ah, I'm they worry will about find that. it. Yeah. yeah. The croc monitors at Nerd, we had them in a um, a corner enclosure that's like probably uh, ten feet long by eight feet long, and it goes floor to ceiling. And it's got basking platforms and all this stuff, and the walls are smooth plastic. And I'm like, okay, we're cool, everything's chill. And then I come in one morning, and there's a you know seven foot croc monitor in the middle of the floor. And I'm like, how did you oh, get out? No. How did you get out? All the walls are smooth. How did you get out? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I hear the Jurassic Park theme song playing in the background. I'm like, no, this will not happen here. <laughs> I put it back, and the next morning, same thing. It got out again, and I'm like. How are you getting out? It doesn't even make any sense. So we literally had to put it in a, a little bit of a smaller enclosure that has a roof to it because it kept figuring out how to get out of all the ones that didn't have a roof covering on them. Mm -hmm. Ridiculous. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it was literally just like the uh, the, the parts of the wall that, that joined together. Like yes. Like those little joint pieces. Mm -hmm. It provided like just the enough tiniest for a little lip. Yep. And it was lit, like, because I remember I got a video of one, like, on it. Yeah. And it's, like, just enough where they can get their their claws into it Ugh. and hold themselves up. And I'm like, man, if it did that and was able to get just close enough to the edge, all it needs to do where one the door pull. is yep. is get one foot on the door and then it's a wrap. Yep. It's out. Yeah. Oh, it's out. Gotcha. You know. But, I mean, like, when I say just big enough for a claw, I'm talking, like, under a centimeter. Yes. Like, like my nails wouldn't catch it. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, amazing. <laughs> uh, absolutely amazing. Ugh. Gosh, wow. yeah, no, I, I, they're yeah. too smart. They're <laughs> way too smart. <laughs> Cause like when we were talking with uh, Ryan about the Komodos and everything, he's like, you know, I like the Komodos are really cool, but I like croc monitors more. And I'm like, croc monitors are one yeah. of the only reptiles that like makes me nervous when I interact with them because of how smart they are and how like well equipped they are to do damage because their teeth are so brutal and their even their claws are brutal like mm. i've had a, a croc monitor tear through my jeans like it was nothing like it was butter like its claw just like went right through and then ripped like like you took a blade and just sliced right down it like nothing and i'm like yeah oh my skin is fragile and 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 marshmallow <laughs> compared to this thing <laughs> yeah um Jason Abel's the Galapagos tortoise guy. Um, he used to keep croc monitors, and these were not the puppy dog croc monitors that you see on Instagram. Mm -hmm. These were like real deal. They yeah. will stand up at the door, all business croc monitors, mm -hmm. and um, they would sometimes slice each other open. And Jason learned how to to suture them together mm -hmm. when they when they just bite each other and their skin is so incredibly tough so imagine you know what their teeth are capable of doing if they just slice each other open so easily like that yep yeah. yep we yeah. got a couple of those at nerd 
Like, our water monitors are great, but the croc monitors, not all of them are so great. Yeah. One of the babies, I was packing a baby that we had socialized really well, and the thing was great if it was just, like, sitting on your arm or, like, just casually walking around on you. But when I went to put it back in the bag, it had a flashback to Nam because the thing, like, lost its mind (laughs) and, like, ran straight to the bottom of the bag. So I, like, grabbed the end of the bag to keep it from coming back out, and it bit my hand through the bag and sliced me wide open like through the bag and i was like that was through like not a kevlar bag but like a very thick thick bag bag. yeah Yeah. and i'm like if that thing could just grab my skin i would be filleted right now yeah dude you know what you know what's amazing is like certainly the water the baby water monitors are nowhere near as bad as baby croc monitors just for that but like i remember last season putting some baby water monitors away and one of them had like freaked and bit me and Mm. i was like that's actually quite an amazing bite for a seven-day-old yeah, reptile. <laughs> so, like, that put a lot more into perspective oh, for yeah. me. Because I'm like, okay, obviously I know these things can, can cause some serious damage if, if they bite in the right spot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was like... It'll wake you up. Cool. <laughs> this, um, this just got a little more real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's really to interesting to see, um, since Ryan does all the skulls and the bone articulation you can really break down their anatomy and um you can he's done a a few croc monitors and you can see their teeth are just specifically designed to shred Mm -hmm. and then you look at something like a black throat monitor and their teeth are designed to crush Mm -hmm. and it's just so cool to see how they've evolved into these perfect predators for their habitat yeah yeah i was um we got contacted by a a lab that was doing studies on Nile monitors because apparently Nile monitors when they're under three foot or so they've Mm -hmm. got teeth that are designed to catch a certain type of prey and then once they get over three feet part of their teeth get replaced with a different kind of tooth that's for a different kind of prey and so they're doing dentition um, analysis on Nile monitors that are small and then Nile monitors that are bigger uh, to try and get a idea of what specifically it's designed for and to get to see if it's all Nile monitors or just like certain locales of them that, that have this happen to them. Really wow, curious. that is so interesting. Right? Is yeah, crazy. I remember when they were hitting us up for that. I was yeah. like, what are you? What are you I was doing? like, we don't really have a lot of Nile monitors, yeah. but we do have a couple we can send you. <laughs> yeah. That's it's, really cool. Yeah. It's it's amazing how much we don't know. That is the, the <laughs> you know really interesting I mean? part. It really is amazing how much we don't know. Um, but also, I think probably one of the more exciting things, especially is you know everything in the in the world is changing at such a fast rate. You know, technology is changing, science is changing at such a fast rate. So I feel like we'll see and hear more of these bizarre things mm-hmm. in this industry and, and hobby faster which is amazing yes you know um i would love to like talk to some of the real old school keepers and be like what's something you know now that you never thought was even really a thing Mm -hmm. about reptiles back when you first started doing it yeah i I feel like a lot of those people would be like i didn't realize they were so smart (laughs) yeah (laughs) like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i feel like real reptile people know that they're smart but I feel like the, the more that we're finding out how smart they are, <laughs> yeah. I think that's really going to, like, blow people away. For sure. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm. Yeah, it's oof. it's amazing, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I'm curious to see what the next five and ten years of research do because, like, when we were talking to um, Savannah over at Gatorland, she was talking about they're doing research on – the communication between crocodilians and they have their own languages which with which they communicate to one another and that's something that like holy crap i bet you people never thought that because for a long time crocodilians were thought to be you know mindless killing machines they were just like people thought they were like sharks where they're like oh no they don't they've got a tiny brain and they're very stupid and they they just kind of kill things and now right. they're finding out they've got these like complex vocalizations and they can communicate with one another and they, they can work together for catching things. And it's like, you know, that is going to be super interesting when they start to get deeper into that research. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, 
alligators they have a tiny brain and sometimes they do silly things mm-hmm. but <laughs> there's a lot more to them than you know what a lot of people show for real for sure yeah i consistently think back to when we were at Gatorland mm-hmm. and um, having savannah just call out to one, one specific, specific gator yeah and that one specific gator came over that's still like yeah i'm like what none <laughs> of the other ones moved a muscle but that one yeah. was like oh me you, you're talking to me i'll yeah. come over for i'm some coming meat. yeah i'm coming hang on I'm yeah coming. that yeah that blew me away totally yeah it's a really amazing demonstration of their intelligence yeah yep we need to learn so much more yes it's just the beginning yeah just the beginning oh man all right so we are getting to the point where we're going to wrap things up but before we do we ask everybody the same question and that question is what in the world of reptile be it something uh within your own collection or something that you've seen scouring social media because that's all we have time to do in covid world now uh, what in the realm of reptile has you excited has me excited hmm I think just how us keepers are evolving into uh, creating better habitats and lives for our animals. 100%. Totally. Yep. I'm with it. Yep, 100%. <laughs> That's cool. So if people want to find out more about you and the things that you're doing, where should they look you up? Uh, my Instagram. What's your Instagram? It is savvy.serrott. Sweet. Any other social media they should follow you on or just there? Nah, that's it. All right. That's it. Instagram only. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you very much for talking to us tonight. We'll have to have you on again, and I hope you have a nice night. Thank you for having me. Have a great night. You too.